Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Game and Gadget podcast. The guest list, well, it's very similar to the last one, indeed. So, um, turn, I'm going to give a shorter introduction after the last time. Well, <laughs> we're into some detail, but basically, all these gents, high caliber, development background, modern, retro, stew, artist extraordinaire. If you want a pixel somewhere, stew's your man. This is it for the Game and Gadget podcast on this particular episode. And of course, you've got me, James Wilcock, from pixelrefresh.com. Okay, gents, uh, I'm going to jump in very quickly. I say quickly with the best of intentions, but it not, might not work out that way. I have purchased an iPad Pro. I have not had an iPad since iPad 3. So let's go rewind a little bit. So it's already getting too long already. Let's rewind a little bit and put some context into that. So iPad 2 was the first iPad I ever got. iPad 1, it was like first generation. It's a bit like the first iPhone. It showed potential, but it probably wasn't the one to get. iPad 2 came out super thin compared to the first iPad, and it just seemed to have everything right. Loved it. iPad 3 came out next, and that was the one with the retina display, which meant it was lovely high resolution, but ran absolutely rubbish, which is probably why, much to my despair, just seven months later, Apple released the iPad 4 with a twice as fast processor in it. Thank you, Apple. But anyway, so that's my iPad history, and that's as far as I got. And I've found in all this time, I've not needed another big screen tablet. Phones have got bigger and bigger over time. That was kind of my my consumable touchscreen interface of choice. But then there's iPad Pro, and it's got a 12.9-inch display. Now, my phone is big, being an S21 Ultra, but it isn't 12.9 inches. And I was craving, as an Android user, a bit of iOS. So I thought the iPad Pro was the way to go. And Tony, at this point, you're not allowed to talk about my microphone issues on Windows 11, where I could not get the drivers to work all of a sudden. Hence why I'm using a Mac today. That's another story completely, Tony. Do not go there. So I looked at the iPad Pros. (laughs) And there was an offer on at John Lewis we could get over a number of amounts of months. Interest-free. I thought, okay. And, of course, I did what you shouldn't do. Well, okay, there's the iPad Pro, there's the smaller screen version. Oh, that one doesn't have the fancy new display technology of mini LED. That's only in the 12.9-inch display version. Okay, that must be the one I'll have to get, because I'm going to have this iPad for years and years, so I've got to get a, a really good one. And then, of course, Apple is quite stingy with the storage, so you have to go up a level with the storage to get 256 gigabytes. So, yeah, it wasn't the cheapest acquisition in the world ever, but at least it was split over a number of months. But I think the thing that appealed to me now more than ever was it has this new fandangled Apple M1 silicon in it. Now, this is all fantastic until the M2 is probably announced in a week or two. But regardless, right now I'm cutting edge technology, man, in terms of iPads. And as an iPad, it is fantastic. The display is beautiful. The peak brightness, I'm watching like Dolby Vision content on it, it just blows my mind. And I've got an OLED downstairs, which isn't renowned for brightness levels, but because it gets true black, the brightness still looks very impressive. But this thing is just insane. So I'm actually sat watching movies on it just for the Dolby Vision content. I'm sat there with my headphones and watching movies, which I never thought I expected to be doing, but that's been nice. And for reading draft books on it is very nice i'm not going to say who it's tony's revolution software book it's you know still in the works going very well very good read so far uh, but so that's been very good for that and of course there's um, apple arcade if you subscribe to that so i've been playing a few of the touchscreen based games on there i've been playing broken sword 2 on there which i'm guessing is like the the iphone version blown up but a little bit more tablety optimized as a result it's certainly lower resolution than your iPad screen. It is. Mm. It is. But I'll tell you what. I think little... real, li- real life's actually lower resolution than the <laughs> iPad screen. <laughs> there's, there's, less, there's less atoms flowing around. Yeah. No, absolutely. But I'll tell you what, the, the text when they're talking and the 
the what was the addition that came i think after broken sword 2 that was more for when it came out as mobile devices where we get the little picture of the character next to the text which came after the original release of broken sword 2 they look really beautiful much higher resolution but i mean i'm enjoying it it's just nice to play point and click adventures regardless on a touchscreen so as a consumable device as like a, a basic casual device ipad pro is beautiful if a little bit overkill so i wanted to dabble in this post pc era which was made such a big thing when particularly ipad 2 came out it was all about this post pc era this is why we had microsoft panicking and doing windows 8 which it's mostly touchscreen optimized which like you lost the start button which sounds completely ridiculous now so they brought that bit back quickly later on but still there was this mass panic that the iPad was going to re genuinely replace laptops and PCs. Now, bear in mind, it's been a number of years. We're talking over a decade. They've had to fine tune this thing to be a truly working workhorse device. And with an M1 chip in it, which is no slouch, you'd expect it to be really up to the task now. They're halfway there. They've got the power. They've got the display. Even the four speakers sound magnificent on it. Apps are, you know, I was, there's one called Luma Fusion, which is a video editing app. And there's a, a video I edited, which was a clip from one of the po early podcasts me and Tony did. And I took about eight minutes of that and turned that into its own little video with some inserted snippets. That worked really well. And it, encoded the video super quick it it was all perfect until i wanted to import footage and that's when you start tapping into the file system of ios there's not really a file system it feels all like a, a very fudged way of doing things ipad pro has a USB-C connector so i plugged in an external hard drive it's xfat which is fully supported on ipad pro could i get this three gigabyte video file to transfer reliable no and it was all these little hiccups along the way now maybe i'm still learning there's things i have to do more specifically to get it to work how i need it but i keep bumping into roadblocks which is so frustrating go on aaron is absolute easiest way to do anything cross-platform on the apple stuff is have your icloud account and use your icloud files uh, yeah basically just chuck everything that you're going to go across on different machines on iCloud and then it just pulls straight in. Yeah, and you can access it. If you do use it across to a PC, you can open up iCloud on a PC as well. So there's definitely challenges ahead. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. That's, that sounds there's, a good idea. There's way, the, the, the thing is, it's like, like the, when... when uh, like you said, when iPad 2 came out and the, the, the post-PC era, that was mostly the press talking out of their behinds again. Um, this is me trying not to swear. That's very good. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and, um, and the thing was, they, they had the generally right idea, but Apple were definitely not stopping doing the Mac. I mean, the, the Mac's selling more now than it ever did. But they did want to make, you know, they have made the iPad more useful if that is your only device but it is still designed around that uh, most of ios stuff and uh, is now designed around having icloud uh, a lot of the things people sort of say oh that's difficult that's difficult a lot of the people say, saying that tend to not have or use their icloud account and, and it's one of these little things that makes everything so much more useful because you suddenly have a lot more things unlocked by it because I suspect that whoever it is designing all these features at Apple is is just default going to using everything off iCloud. Um, it's the same same thing with the, the lack of storage as, as well. Um, a, a lot of it is basically because you don't normally have that much left on the device and it's all just pulled off, off the net, which is a major problem if you're somewhere where you don't have decent broadband. And, and, and that's, a, again, it's, it's a... That's always that was always a problem I had in the UK because I was never anywhere with particularly brilliant broadband. Whereas the um, uh, the you know in, in, in where obviously in in, in um, Cupertino they've got spectacular broadband, so they don't even think about it. 
you know, whereas the rest of us in the world are like, yeah, we're waiting, we're waiting for iTunes to be usable because we can't even download a song yet. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> um, and, and it's got better, but, but yeah, def- definitely everything is kind of focused around using your iCloud account. Um, and the other question is, have you used it as a second screen for your Mac yet? Yes. That didn't work too well either. <laughs> so, so maybe yeah. I think there was a bit of conflicting going on because I had a Bluetooth headset connected at the time. It was fine until right, yeah. I did that. But unfortunately, yeah. in my work, um, so I, this this was the genius idea of mine anyway. My work laptop is also, funnily enough, an M1 powered MacBook. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the 13 inch version. So, we have. So you didn't need an iPad. Well, it's my work one. <laughs> As in, it's works. It's not mine. <laughs> yeah. It, indulgence, yeah. indulgence, indulgence. <laughs> <laughs> so we have every month a collaboration day, which is as we all work from home, it's our opportunity to get together, pay a program, just collaborate basically and have that opportunity to sit next to somebody which when you're working from home all the time is one of those things you miss so i thought you know this is a beautiful little laptop but i do miss having a second screen i'll take the ipad pro Mm. and for a while it was working pretty well it felt almost like a native display connected rather than it being a wireless thing but as soon as i plugged in these bluetooth headphones it just kept cutting out and doing stuff. And I thought, oh, that's a problem because I actually use the headphones a lot to talk to clients while I'm on a collaboration mm. day. So I can't have one without the other. There is a solution. There we go. <laughs> There's always a solution. <laughs> I should have spoke um, to USB-C you a week cable. ago, but go on. <laughs> yeah, a USB-C cable. Just connect it via USB-C. Um, which is using the older screen screen technology uh, connection technology that they had on the iPad before they did the new one where you could airplay directly to it and use it as a second screen. But it it's basically means you because I have the same problem with with Bluetooth. Uh, if I if I've got my AirPods plugged in and trying to play music off my Mac while I'm using Unity, Unity does something horrible with 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 Bluetooth and cuts out cuts out the music. So something's very broken in Unity's audio drivers uh, internally that messes with all sorts. Um, so, so I have to actually listen to music off my Apple TV while working on the Mac if I want to work with Unity. Wow. Um, but yeah, a, a USB-C cable will generally solve that and has the benefit, of course, of keeping your iPad charged while using it as a second screen. I am going to try all this. Assuming your Mac's bugging the power. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's worth messing about with that sort of stuff. Yeah. But that, that's it. You have to mess about. So if you get your SBC mm. and they say you can plug a hard drive in there, you pl- naturally plug in a hard drive and expect it to work. If it says mm. it will support wirelessly a second display, you expect the second display uninterrupted to just work. It doesn't. Mm. And for years, I've been using laptops where, for, for the most part, Please don't mention the microphone thing again, Tony. Um, for the most part, it works, and I don't have to think about it. If I want a file and I want to drag it from here to here, I can do that. If I want to plug in a hard drive externally and drag a f- file from external to the internal storage, I can do that without thinking about it. I've been doing this for years. Mm. And it's not so much that the iPad Pro and iOS doesn't provide some software solution and it's slowly getting better but you just keep hitting like i say these walls where why isn't this working you've you've said this should work i should be able to just plug this in it should just do what i expect it to do and hardware wise it seems like it's just as powerful as the macbook air i'm using right now and that i use for my actual work why can't I just get a file from here to here reliably? The iOS just seems yeah. still so far behind what the hardware is now capable of, and that's the problem. The, the one thing the Apple engineers always told me whenever I complained about anything is, uh, well, it used to be radar. It's now feedback.apple.com. They, they you know, put in a bug report because if there's no bug report there, they, know, they, never, they don't hear about it. And anyone can put in a bug report. <laughs> it's worth it they do they do read them and the more people actually put in bug reports on the same bug the more that bug gets noticed 
Um, uh, they do. They definitely do a thing of more people have complained about this one, so we should probably fix it. <laughs> what did surprise me though was how well the Apple have their own keyboard and touchpad solution for the iPad Pro. It's hideously expensive. You could probably get close to buying like the standard iPad for the price of this keyboard touchpad stand thing. It's like over three hundred pounds. I didn't go for that option. I went for the Logitech one, which was like less than half price. Really good. And the key touch is fantastic. The touchpad's fantastic. It does everything I need it to do. And it's just weird using it on an iPad. Works surprisingly well on that interface. So that combination works well. But again, you, you find as soon as you get into that mode, I kind of want a window interface. This split screen stuff, I say, okay, I want it over, this bit over to the right. That's probably my Twitter feed. On the left, I want a document or something else. And it's just a bit too fiddly to get what I need. Now, I'll probably be shouted at by people, not just on here, but <laughs> elsewhere by suggesting that, you know, maybe now's the time to try a Mac OS dual boot on an iPad. Maybe that is just a stretch too far, especially for Apple. But, in, I, but you know, I, personally, we've got this I'd, I'd love that just to be able to code, you know. Mm. It, 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 a lot of coders would, would love an iPad they could just basically run macOS on so that they could run Xcode, Unity, you know, um, unreal engine whatever you know just just to actually just work on the same as they do with their mac and it's more portable mm. when when the first uh, solid state version of the of the macbook air came out it kind of almost became the default coder macbook overnight purely because it was so easy to travel with you know the, 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 that was the, the year i went to to uh, wwdc and everybody had suddenly switched to these super light macbooks purely because they were powerful enough to code on and they were ridiculously light. So if you're traveling about, you're not lunking this great, great thing around. I mean, when I, when I popped to the UK last week, I, I carried the flight out. I traveled light, which meant um, MacBook 16 inch case, <laughs> my CPAP machine and a backpack for, for about two days worth of luggage. Um, shopped at Primark as soon as I got there for the rest of the week's clothes to bring back with me which I can't get in Spain <laughs> uh, and then came back with a huge suitcase as well but um, but came back on the train but carrying even even the slightly larger laptop case that that weight you notice it you know and, and I, I do remember the good old days when I could just tra travel with my, my MacBook Air um, and I just had a nice little 11 inch MacBook Air and it only got retired last year um, and that's from was it 2011 i bought it uh and and it it was it was great but it was, it was just ridiculously light ran everything you know um and it, it was it was nice but just needed the power <laughs> <laughs> understandably and the problem with the yeah. iPad, the problem with the ipad is that you know, they're in a difficult position aren't they because you know you've got people like us saying oh put put xcode on it put put unity on it give us the file system but then it but then it just become in other words it just just make it a mac i mean either you put macOS on it or or you have to differentiate it somewhere but then it's got so much hardware power that they can they can write sophisticated software for it so it, it what what exactly is it and what is it really for you know and maybe it's gone too far already and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be editing video and it should just be it should just be well, what should it be if that's the case? You know, it's 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 almost impossible to square, isn't it? Well, that's it. Is Pro meaning it's a professional device, or is Pro meaning that it's got all the singing or dancing specifications? But but the thing is, if you're if you're really editing a load of 4K video, then why aren't you doing it on a proper Mac? You know, that's the question, mm. isn't it? Honestly, I just like the idea of laying in bed and doing it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm going. My that wife's watching TV. True. I'm going. I'll just drop Aaron on this timeline. I'll just drop Stu here. Yeah. That's just a nice overlay. And it's the I'm convenience, isn't it? It's the convenience of being yeah. able to sit anywhere you like and just say. I mean, I when I do little videos for me for me shop and I put like, you know, and I sit on me on me Android phone and I I just knock some quick videos up and it's so quick. Mm. But if I do it on a PC, I've got to drag things in and I'm just playing with the timelines and audio, and it takes an awful lot longer to do that. But with the phone, I can just go, yeah, have that, have that, scroll, do that. 
just does it. And I can knock a video out in like 15 minutes, easy. Whereas on the PC, I'm like half an hour, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know. And it's it's So it's that convenience of just better sit anywhere. Even if you're on the loo and you think, oh, <laughs> you know, or, you, or you, you know, you're waiting for your wife to come out of the shops or something. She's gone in to pick, pick something up. And think, oh, you know, which I've done. Or I've, when I picked my son up from college, I've often sat and did some video editing in the car. You know, and like he was saying about the cloud, you know, again, with the cloud, you can say, well, well I've got all my files. I've got like a, a set of files which I use, like the basic ones, like for logos and things. I keep them in my cloud account all the time. So if I am in that position, then I think, oh, I'll pull that down, put it on the phone, use it. And then it's, I haven't got to worry about having my phone clogged up with loads and loads and loads of files. So, um, yeah, I think it's the convenience. But I think you're right, Tony. I think it's like, what, what are they, what point do they go? Do you know what? We've actually given you a Mac without a keyboard here. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, well, yeah. and it's funny, yeah. you know, it's hard, isn't it, to work out what, what, where's it going to go? Well, that's it. It's a Mac yeah. with a touch. And the funny thing is, they, they, well, the funny thing is, they'd already invented that in the eighties. One of the prototypes in, uh, I've got a, somewhere, I've got this rather wonderful, uh, uh, what's it, a coffee table book of an Apple, Apple design. Which has all the sort of stuff from from the um, original Macintosh up to the last of the sort of beige Macs, and just as the original iMac was coming out. And one of the designs they have was uh, get, gets referred a lot by Mac fans. It's a thing called Hollywood, which was basically a Mac that the screen is a flat screen which separates from the keyboard, and you can actually take them apart and use them separately. And the current iPad Pro with keyboard is basically the Hollywood design, but actually finally done yeah it's um it's one of the, the you know it's one of these things but i, I think the thing is with ipad is they are they seem to be very keen to differentiate ipad as purely as ipad and, and ipad os is now its own name rather than just being iops now and so on purely because from from the original ipad design and i i i worked on the prototype ipads for software in top secret and had all sorts of fun trying not to tell, yeah, having to not be able to tell you what I was working on kind of stuff, because you had to consider a lot of different aspects for the different thing. I mean, we were right and click fishing for it. So we couldn't do the, take take the phone version and do casting by, by throwing, you know, sort of chucking your phone forwards because it weighs nearly a kilo. You know, that's going to, that's going to hurt if that comes flying off into your telly. Um, and we actually mocked up the weight of it um, as, a, as a brick of, of, of stuff, just to get the feel of how it would be to, to work out how the game would have to work and so on. And um, they, Apple have done a lot of stuff on, on iOS and later on iPadOS in terms of this is primarily a touchscreen device that now does have mouse and keyboard, but that's only within the last year and a bit, isn't it? There's the, the the official use of mouse and keyboard Indeed. on it. So the, the so the OS is actually designed around touchscreen. And again, it's why Macs won't ever have touchscreen because Mac OS is not designed around touchscreen and probably never will. Um, the, the crazy thing is that now iPad Pros are in one. Like you say, you could potentially run Mac OS on it. I mean, it wouldn't take much for Apple to do, but I do wonder if they're worried that it would, confuse people well i'll tell you what is confusing um, then on that same sort of vein on mac os you can run if you've got the right hardware ios apps yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean again that's that seems yeah. a, a very to me that feels less natural than putting mac os on the ipad given i mean if I kind of think to my Samsung no, phone no, no. here that if I plug in a USB-C device and it detects that it's a keyboard, it, can, it or like an external display, it'll say, "Oh, I can start the the Samsung like desktop-like experience," which is not brilliant, but you know, it's in fact it's on a phone and powered by the phone. It's quite useful at times to have that on a monitor, and I sort of feel like mm. the iPad could go that extra mile if it, you plug in a keyboard and mouse device and it detects that will say, would you like to switch to Mac OS? Hmm. I, th I think that the thing there would be, like you said, it's not brilliant, but Apple doesn't like doing it. It's not brilliant. It but... iOS apps aren't that brilliant. No, it has, um... Mac OS. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because they're designed they're, for they're, a touchscreen. They're, they're just yeah, simulations. Yeah. 
yeah. But the, uh, the the whole thing is the other way around, putting MacOS on an iPad where it's not designed to work on touchscreen. But if you had a keyboard and mouse connected, it's essentially a MacBook Air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, but then that might cannibalize MacBook sales. Yeah. If they sell an um, iPad uh, Pro, do they care? Probably, yeah. MacBooks cost a lot more. <laughs> I, look, this is all good discussions, absolutely. And I'm not saying that <laughs> yeah. Apple should definitely put Mac OS because, in a way, that's almost admitting defeat that I, iOS isn't I, up to the task. Well, iPad OS isn't up to the task to achieve what we need as pros. But still, you know, for the device, it is the hardware is beautiful. It's just I feel like iOS has still got quite a way to go. Just to just needs to go that little bit further. I feel like it's getting closer. But it's still got that little bit further to go. There's no way. I mean, I'm I'm finding myself. I've got my MacBook Pro next to me from 2013, and I've got my iPad Pro. And I'll get so far on the iPad, I go, ah, I need to do this, and then I pick up the laptop. And that's the sh- that's the shame part of it. Hmm. Yeah, I know my um, brother Adam. Um, once he got his uh, iPad Pro, what was it, three years ago? I think it might be now. Um, he got the pen, the pencil and um, started just had to go to see if he could draw on it and use it as an art uh, device. And he actually switched to just using the iPad Pro rather than Photoshop on the Mac, um, you know, because he had a decent sized Wacom tablet um, and, and so on, but uh, actually started, just prefers to use the iPad Pro now. Uh, a lot of that's due do to that. the pencil. Yeah. yeah. You can you can yeah. do that. I mean, I mean, some things it does very well. I mean, like drawing is is one of those things, and maybe video editing, they shouldn't have gone that way. You know, because depends it, on the video editor. Um, I, iMovie's rather good actually, um, as a because it's, a lot of it's because it's it's cut down, uh, it's it's simplified, which means that a lot of the problems you run into with overcomplication don't get in the way. I think Stu's finding the same with with editing video on the phone. A lot of the good, the best phone video editing tends to be the ones that don't put too much in. It's not a PC app that's been made into a mobile app. It's a mobile app from the word go, uh, and thus it just doesn't overload you. Mm. Um, Once stuff gets too many features, it just gets too awkward to use a lot. This sounds like excellent. I agree. I mean, that's the. I agree. I think it's the thing that 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 for me, when I use the software I use, um, it, it it's just quick. Because it's been written for mm. a handheld touchscreen device, whereas if they tried to port something off the off the PC or Mac onto it, you'd be like, "Well, you know, there's no mouse, and you, there's all the interfaces and design for touch, and pinching, and all the you know all the stuff you'd expect to do." So I kind of get that. I kind of get that, and 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 I don't think. I mean, I say I edit very small videos on there. I'm talking like 15 seconds, 30 seconds a minute, but. If I did a bit, try to do a bigger project on the phone, I think I'd probably go insane <laughs> because the timeline would get so huge that I'd be forever scrolling and zooming in and out and, and the tracks would be like zillions high and it'd be like, no, far too much. So I think hmm. for that purpose, it, it does the job really well, you know, and I think maybe that's perhaps yeah. why with say like the iPad and the video editing, it's a specific purpose. It's not for you making your big, you know, multi-track, you know, uh, documentary or mini film. Although you could probably try and do it with, with something like an iPad and, and that. But I think for, for quick, small videos, it's probably ideal. You know, does the job well. Yeah. See, the thing is, if you if you pushed everything from MacOS onto the iPad, then the, the, those nice, simple apps are going to disappear and they're all going to be pro what's-its with a million features, you know. So, you know, maybe what you really want, James, is is a, a MacBook Pro running running iPad software in the little windows, as, as, you, as you pointed out you could do. Because then you'd have your nice, simple software that's that's easy to deal with and, and, and a proper file system beneath it. That would have been great, but again, I'd fall into the same trap of, oh, do I want the pro or do I want the ultra? Oh, I've got to have the best, <laughs> yeah. and that what looks like fairly reasonable yeah. would soon turn into. I couldn't justify that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> iPad Pro, there was at least some kind of ceiling there where I could go. Yeah, anything more now is just daft. It's unnecessary. But with the MacBook Pro. You think, oh, it's not really user upgradable. I've, what I've got to be clear that I, it's got to be this bit of RAM. Oh, maybe I need. I've got a future proof, and this is 
it just goes up and on. It's all the Apple ploy. Oh, yes, the base model starts at this price. But if you really want something, you know, that little bit more useful, actual storage space you can use without running out every five minutes, you need to spend that £400 more, sir. Oh, you want double the RAM to be future-proof for like the next four years? Oh, that's another £400, please, sir. And, you know, this is how it goes. So, yes, in, I'm sure absolutely Tony are right, but I think I would have to break into my local bank to be able to afford the spec I would then end up with. But at least, James, at least at least you don't wake up one morning and find that your your Windows PC doesn't doesn't work anymore. Oh, you got in there anyway. Because it's done an update overnight and now all the drivers are screwed. Well, that's it. I don't even think it's done that an never update. Happens. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I've got an external mixer, which you just plug in, and it just downloads the drivers, and that's it. You have to you do nothing. You don't have to install manual drivers or anything. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's been a Windows 11 update, it's just suddenly stopped working. I plug it into a Mac, it just works. Now, I don't think that's necessarily Mac OS versus Windows and all that stuff. Sorry, Tony. But definitely something's gone wrong with an update somewhere along the lines, and probably Windows is more susceptible to that than Mac OS. I'll give you that, Tony. I'll give you that. Mm. So hence why I'm on the Mac today. Because I didn't say to Tony on the second occasion, can't get the Windows drivers to work. This is all going wrong, Tony. What do I do? And of course the answer from Tony is, you, see, oh, you should have brought a Mac. You see, you see uh, <laughs> I think everyone needs to understand, James is using a Mac today because his Windows computer is broken. This is not going to be the title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I just say that I'm actually running a Linux laptop on this today? So, so I'm actually oh, great man, great man. <laughs> I'm even in the other camp today. So although my main PC is a Windows machine, so which is it's all right. So when it comes to your art stew, I mean, yeah. are, are you a yeah. mouse man, or have you dabbled with the, the whole stylus thing? Oh, I, I use a tablet. I use a tablet for for illustration work. Uh, I, I did have a touchscreen tablet, but I, I found that I spent more time kind of, um, it's hard because I, I, I got so used to using just a standard tablet, like my Wacom tablet. When I went to a display, I, I find I kind of missed just being able to just draw. I, I think I got so used to looking at the screen and then drawing that when I went to a display, I don't know, it, 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 it just didn't work for me at the moment. But I might try, I might get one again in the future and try again because uh, I've evolved a bit since I last tried one. Um, but when I'm doing pixel art, I do tend to use the mouse for everything pixel art wise. But any other work, I use a tablet for like, you know, if it's digital art or illustration. And then if I'm doing sort of uh, photo manipulation or, or post prod stuff, then I use the mouse. So for pixel art, is that more because the mouse will allow you to get to the square and click that little, literally yeah, the pixel, yeah. whereas it, if exactly. with a brush, it wouldn't quite work with pixel art. Yeah. And also, I mean, the thing is, when, when I when I first started doing pixel art, it was D-Paint. So using the mouse was, was natural for doing pixel art. And uh, and I'm, I'm still back there then. I'm going to go Yorkshireman here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, well, you, not, well, you, you started with a mouse. You lucky. You lucky. Yeah. No, I started. I I started with a joystick. <laughs> oh, actually, I did. I did. I used Koala Painter on the six sixty four, and then um, I did actually do a couple of pictures on that with a joystick, which is bonkers. Yeah. Look, bonkers. The, the early stuff we were doing on on the Apple II, the problem was getting hold of a usable joystick because all the joystick, all the stuff we were getting was uh, third party mm. stuff. Uh, there were really, really nice professional ones, but they were like the price of the computer again, and you know you couldn't get it. And me and Adam were basically we we're definite amateurs at the time, so um, you'd buy a cheap joystick from from down in Shamshree Po, and it, all the the basic way the Apple II was it was always an analog joystick. It was a, a two port. Um, technically, it was actually two paddle ports, but you'd do a joystick which would just give you two uh, analog feeds for X and Y. So it was getting a joystick that would calibrate. And, and I don't know if you remember any of the old analog joysticks. They always, always grotted up and went way out of drift. And, um, and no one actually did decent D-pads. And it was years until someone actually started chucking out cheap knockoff uh, NES clone uh, D-pads for, for the Mac. For, not for the Mac, for the, for the Apple II. And, and they were technically, it was still the analog input, but it was a fixed resistor for each direction. 
and it was suddenly it was like, oh my god, I can actually play games properly, and I can you know control the control the pixels properly for doing art. It was uh, it was a big big jump. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do remember when I when I first uh, got Koala Painter on the six sixty four, and again, like you say, you know, the, the graphics tablet that came with it was so expensive, I just couldn't afford it. I was only like late you know late teens, and I thought, well. I, you know, and I end up. With, I mean, thankfully they put joystick support in, which is crazy to think that you can draw like a, you know, a bitmap image with a joystick now. Um, and also along mm. with the fact that the sixty-four could only have those, you know, four colours per tile. So you're battling all these these you know these obstacles just to get some graphics on the screen. But I managed to do it. But I mean, I look back and I think, wow, did we really go through all that pain <laughs> to to kind of imagine, to kind of imagine. you know nurture our art form? You know, to where we are today. Yeah, because people were doing mad. whole whole intro mm. screens with that style, with mm. actually pixel by pixel. Mm. Imagine like an iPad Pro trying to do an intro screen for an iPad Pro with a joystick. You know, you, it would take you longer than the universe has been existing so far just to fill it in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean to say that I mean I still do every every piece of pixel art I draw. I mean when I did when I did James's, uh, you know, pixel portrait for 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 the site um everything is drawn one pixel at a time you know i don't i don't have any kind of sort of shortcuts it is literally every pixel is plotted at one at a time and i'm surprised my poor mouse has survived because it's i've done so much work with that, this mouse, mouse i'm on at the moment that i'm sure the micro switch is going to die soon because it's, it's just continued again click 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 <laughs> you know and the right button for delete um but you, 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 you kind of do that, you know, and obviously you can sometimes use a bit of flood feel and, and whatever, but but everything is drawn one pixel at a time. So I can't imagine anybody, I mean, I've seen people do it, but drawing pixel art with a with a tablet or or with a graphics tablet, you know, um, you imagine doing something on an iPad. And you, you, I mean, I suppose you could do it with an iPad, but I don't think you I get do, that yeah. kind of level, you know, for me anyway. Right. I do, I do. I mean, I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but I do for fun. I do some pixel art, and I use my iPad for that. Right. And, uh, I found a package that I liked, and and uh, you know, I can, I can, I can basically zoom. I can, I can. You put two fingers on it and zoom them out, and, and then the pixels are huge. Tweak them, and then and then spin it, spin mm. it around, and and down again, and, and it's that that dynamism that I, I quite like. So I mean, that, that works for me, but um, yeah. just because I. The last the last time I drew pixel art was on a was on an Amstrad CPC and it was an actual right. size, you know, and that was like thirty years ago. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've skipped yeah. a lot in the middle. I think I, a little I mean, bit of deep paint on the Amiga. But it's, it's what you get used to. Is I mean, I've I've I mean, I've I sort of honed my skills on deep paint, and and I kind of settled into having my left hand on the keyboard for all the keyboard shortcuts, and then right hand on the mouse with left to plot and right to delete. But now I find that I've got the mouse wheel, so I can zoom in with that, and you know. But I still use exactly the same technique as I did, you know, all the years, all those years ago on the Amiga. You know, right hand, right mm. hand on the mouse, left hand on the keyboard. Lots of shortcuts. Very, very rarely use any of the menus at all. It's just all done with key control. Uh, so for me, if I did try to use a tablet, I'd probably find it really difficult because I'm I'm battling my own kind of work system that I'm I'm so used to using. So, but having said that, I mean, yeah. everyone everyone yeah. has their own way of doing things, you know. So, you know, for me, that works for me. But I can see why for anybody else, it'd be like, well, I don't know if I can do that. It takes too long. <laughs> well, well it's, it's this thing of um, effectively retraining muscle memory hmm. whenever it's a completely new system. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, you know, then it, and it's also like Apple keeps bringing out loads of new fancy new ways to do things on on iOS and macOS and so on. I never bother learning any of them. I'm still using stuff I probably learned on Mac OS 8. You know, and, and um, uh, it's like, oh, by the way, you've got that feature. Oh, right, okay, I've never used it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the split window stuff works on an iPad. No idea. Yeah. So which iPad do you have? There's a million today? shortcuts, isn't there? Uh, I, have the, I have the last Air, uh, iPad Air, so it's like a year. It's like a year old. It's, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty hot and it should last for... Donkey's years, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the I've got the fifth gen iPad, which annoyed me because that's the last one that you can't use to use as a second screen uh, on the new MacOS. So I may have to update it. I was considering buying uh, an iPad Pro purely to use as a screen if I'm using my MacBook outside because um, I I do miss like you say not having a second screen is a bit of a jump even with a decent screen size. 
it's just the being able to put the, the stuff you're not specifically focused on on the other screen and and you know for instance your code window or whatever on on the main screen is uh it's a it's a big productivity thing it's yeah i think you get used to it don't you i mean i i've got like uh in down here i've got like uh, my main machine which is up there which has got dual screen and then i'm actually sitting at my art desk but i've actually put another monitor in a corner so i've got the laptop on it so i can plug another screen into my laptop and still if i want to use both machines at the same time because i get so used to having mm. two screens you know like you say you have one one screen which is all your your stuff that you're not really working on but it's there for reference or whatever then you have your main screen for for doing all your work you know and certainly when if i'm doing if i'm doing reference art i use me the right screen for all the reference art and then i'll do the main drawing on on my main screen so uh, but i think i can never go back to a single screen machine again it's it's like you get so used to having a dual dual monitor set up going back to single screen is like oh no oh i can't do that <laughs> so you've never been tempted by an ultra wide monitor which often you can get ones that's as big as two like 27 inch monitors just in one big thing yeah I, I was up at i saw chris i was at chris wilkins house a few months ago and he's got a huge like wide one of those big curved wide monitors ultra wide ones and i looked at it and i thought oh could i use one of them and i thought well i'm not sure because you still got i suppose with with, with you've got dual screens it fits to the screen boundary doesn't it for the monitor so you can clip things in very quickly like you know quarters or halves but does it do the same thing on a on his wide ones? Does it actually say we're going to pretend it's two screens joined together, and then you can click to the middle? And does it does it will it actually allow for that, or will it still kind of lock it to it each quarter? So it'd be an eighth, wouldn't it? An yeah, eighth of the screen. Hmm. No, I think you can actually count it as two right twenty-seven inch screens or whatever. The only problem I found with them is unless you don't mind it being only ten eighty p, they they do get very expensive very fast. Um, and the curved thing is a problem for me because my desk's got a decent amount of depth to the wall, but if I used a curved screen, I'd lose all that because it would actually curve out around. So, so at the moment, I've got uh, two two screens. Although I'm going to probably readjust it all. I say two screens. I've actually got hang on one, two. I've got five screens at the moment because of multiple machines and Apple TV with its own display and yeah, you know, and so on. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I only use two at a time. Typically, it's just certain scenarios I need to run another screen or run something else in parallel. Um, I have. So, I'm going to compete with you a little bit. It's not five. Let's start with that straight away. It's not five for work purposes. <laughs> I my day job, my nine till five. I have three monitors. My poor little M1 MacBook Air is powering three monitors and that's having to go for a dock because it typically natively only do actually one external which is one of the things a lot of people moaned about so you have to have this dock which then uses display link which can get you the, the other two could have four if i really was silly but it's actually down by my feet which is not that useful as a display <laughs> so i've just got three external monitors <laughs> and i've got like chat stuff going over here you now working from home that's useful and whatever i'm working on directly ahead and then like a reference bit over there so it i've got used to using three i want again once you get into that vein it's very hard to drop down you just get Ooh. used to the extra workspace I've thought about I thought yep. about upgrading and getting when I when I'm going to be renewing my machine later this year, and I did think about you know should I go for a three monitor setup because I've heard people say like just just like you said that you get three screens you get so used to it that going back to two screens is like no can't do that, so I am actually contemplating going that route, um, but I know that once you once I do that's it that's it I'm going to be sold on three screens and then it'll be like oh shall I have four. Um, because you get, I suppose you get so used to having like, I'll drag that one onto that one, that yeah, one's yeah. there, and, and it's all laid out how you want. And then when one's missing, you think, no, I can't, I can't. I'm so used to having all this, this, this everywhere. So um, and the monitors yeah, don't all have thing. to be in like a landscape orientation. So you could have, mm. I mean, it's like fantastic mm. stands now. We can get a monitor below, the same size monitor above it, and then the same size monitor then vertical to the side of them. So that, that the vertical one's mm. probably great for, I mean, you guys will probably disagree with me or agree, uh, have code on it or a web page displayed there on it. And then the other two just work as your natural workflows. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. The possibilities are endless. And Tony's now thinking, what are these guys on about? I've got one external monitor. It's beautiful. <laughs> it does me very well. 
Yeah. Well, that that's the other thing yeah. is when you know is having my my mate my primary monitor I use uh, as my second monitor is a four K monitor. Um, I got a nice LG one that wasn't too expensive. Um, the the other one that gets used the most is I've got a forty two inch one fixed to the wall, um, which is also four K, but that's primarily for the Apple TV. So I've got the option I can str- I can basically airplay to it from the Mac and use it as a third screen on the Mac if I need to, or I can be running something else on it at the same time. Um, although again, a lot of the time because of the, the mention, I mentioned the problem I have with um, Unity's audio driver messing up my my headphones. Um, actually, playing music on it, at just just running you know uh, iTunes on it so for my headphones is actually one of the things it ends up getting used as a lot. But it does mean I can I can switch, and that that's sort of the other thing. It's it's, it's with a lot of things like that. It's not like using them all the time. It's more of a, the convenience of being able to switch to it without messing up what you're running on this one. You know, so so um, my my old iMac is running as another setup to the side, which is one of my screens, and some stuff it's more practical to run on that. So I'm not basically getting stuff in the way on the screens on on my MacBook. So um, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's more of a. It, it looks scary when you walk into a room with five monitors, but a lot of the time you're primarily focused on two of them anyway. Yeah, but I don't. I, I struggle on less yeah. than two. Of course, <laughs> most operating systems now have like multi-desktop views, so you can literally toggle. So even if you've got mm. one screen, you can say, okay, I want to have a different view. Maybe I've got a work desktop. Maybe I've got a gaming desktop. You can just flick between them. Yeah. And everything's there. Remember, I mentioned not not bothering to learn any of yeah, the yeah, features yeah, that they yeah. bring along. That's one of the ones I've never actually got around <laughs> to using. <laughs> I've dabbled with it, but I've not got used I'll to just, it. I'll just add another screen on, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, see, as as you pointed out, James, I I use I have one monitor, but I have about twenty desktops. And I just flick between them, and I find that works fine. So how do you switch between twenty desktops? Are you literally manually plugging in and out, or you've got a little device that does that for you? No, no. I mean, it's just it's just. Oh, as, oh I, I see. Mean, so, it, it, as in the multiple desktops within the operating yeah, yeah. system. Going. So, so different apps, different apps are on different desktops. So, you you not got this Windows thing where there's a million windows all all on the same damn screen. Yeah. So, you, I, and I find because of that, things are nice and neat and partitioned, and, and I, I don't need. I, I need. Like, to I don't that. need a, a room that looks <laughs> like air traffic control just to just to write but some code. It, you know? Air traffic control looks so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember the. I, I did actually go into um, a military air traffic control uh, into, into, into a tower once, and realised the computers they were running air traffic on were four bit. In terms of the, the data they were using for the actual aircraft data was four bit. <laughs> they could only, they could only handle sixteen aircraft at once. Wow. wow. When was that? How long ago? That was in the nineties. Okay, so there were probably strips. Were there strips on the wall? No, no, they they, they were only strips for for backup scenarios. Um, okay. So it's the, yeah, basically. But but then again, I I also I consulted for a, a, a military training college, and they were using Vax mainframes to simulate the air traffic control tower, and Amigas to simulate the actual uh, taxiing. So basically, the reason I got brought in because they were using Amos and Amigas. On, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a really, really basic uh, networking uh, code you could get get for the Amiga, which essentially took a bunch of data, copied it to a drive on the next Amiga along, and that copied it and that copied it all the way around. And they really ha- they had thirty two of them in the classroom, and the data going from uh, for this network code, which essentially simulated aircraft taxiing around, and these air traffic controllers learning how to. Where to put aircraft and how to tell them where to go, just by fi- copying data from string to string around all these computers by just literally copying it onto their drives each each frame, and um, it was kind of horrific. They, the, the problem they had was it they all kept crashing, and that was because they were doing it as strings, and the strings were just allocating new strings every time they did it, and the garbage collection just turned up and just went no. <laughs> And it all fell over, and I, I taught them some some basic tips on how to not do that, and, and it sorted itself out. But but just the, it was it was interesting because the system was never designed for that kind of stuff. And they just sat down and 
didn't know any better, so they did it, and it and it kind of worked. <laughs> so, Aaron, Amiga's Amiga's a hot machine at the moment, though, isn't it? It's like like everywhere you look, it's Amiga stuff. Yeah, totally. I mean, look at this. It's, it is really is. Look at that, Amiga magazine from the shops today. It's 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 yeah, cool. It's, yeah. it's, it's very cool. Real, a real yeah. magazine. Oh yeah, Stu's in it as well. <laughs> I've I've not actually, actually looked through it yet because I because I'm I'm so um, I'm so busy. I thought they sent it through to me, and because uh, I've started writing a, a like a monthly column, like just one page in it, and I sent it through to me. And I just went, oh cool, and I put it down and I've left it. And I've just like it's so I've got a few of them, but uh, I keep meaning to sit down and read them all because I just don't have the time. But uh, it is really cool. It's really cool. These new magazines coming out, you know, and they they do another one called Pixel yeah. as well, Pixel Addict, which is which is pretty cool as well. Oh, I like okay. I've, I've looked through that one, um, but yeah, I love I like the fact that these that people are actually putting some effort into kind of keeping the scene alive in a way which sort of taps into that nostalgia that we all we all kind of have. Well, I certainly have. Yeah, and it's nice to see. Yeah. I think it's more than alive, though. I think it's uh, I think it's growing. Mm. It is. I mean, there was. I mean, was it uh, the people are releasing software for it still, which is great, and box software. So yeah, there's certainly a, there's certainly en- enough of a market to kind of uh, you know make it worthwhile looking at uh, developing stuff for again. And I don't know what the what the sales numbers are, but there certainly must be something in it for people to, to do it. But yeah, I love it. I absolutely love the fact that the Amiga's still going strong in uh, 2022. Who'd have thought, eh? Yeah, yeah. So is that people who've really used yeah. the Amiga yeah. back in the day, do you think, rather than anyone new suddenly discovering the Amiga? I think I think a large percentage is basically old farts like us. But <laughs> um I do think I do think there's probably some new people who've, who've probably heard of the Amiga, you know, when they got into playing sort of the, the sort of consoles and thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll give this a go, and are rediscovering the whole uh, the whole Amiga scene. Okay, yeah. let me just make a note of that. 31st of May, 2022, first time James has been called an old fart. Okay, thank you. I've just got that down. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our world. Well, uh, well I'm, I'm, I'm doing my token gesture, starting to go. You'll get used on. to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll get used to it. Don't worry. <laughs> but do you know, this is, it's, it's a surprise me that even now I've never actually owned an Amiga. And, I don't know why at the time I went to Acorn Archimedes. It must have been just, it, it was the one in the catalogue. It was the one that seemed reasonably priced. It seemed to tickle the educational boxes, which meant mum and dad was going to buy it for me. Because it was a big event. I think it was £600 back then. Mm. And what, what would that be, early 90s? And it just so must happened been, yeah. that the school then adopted having an Acorn Archimedes as like the computer of choice. So that worked out for me. I knew what the menu, what the buttons on the mouse were, select, menu, and adjust. And because I knew that, the teacher went, I know I'm not going to have any problems with you, James. It was right, because I always used to finish first and ended up doing errands for the teacher. That was no fun. But anyway, (laughs) and I feel like I've missed this part of nostalgia. It's like the Amiga was the one to have. There was the Atari ST, there was the Amiga, and there was the Acorn. Those were like the main three. And I seem to have the, I don't want to say the ugly little duckling or anything, because it was a great computer, no doubt about it. It's probably underrated, in fact. Maybe Bice, but I don't know. But still, I think the OST certainly had its chance, but the Amiga, because of just the way it had this extra hardware that developers, when they really utilised it, could really make that thing sing and dance. And I haven't owned well, one. The Acorn machine was was superior. It, it was sorry, it, it was superior. But um, being superior technically is not. Yeah. not <laughs> doesn't make you a commercial success, does it? Yeah. I mean, that, if ever there was a lesson on on, on computing, that, yeah. that, that, that the, the Archimedes, as with most of the stuff, most of the um, Acorn stuff was very British, and it was very much a only for sale in Britain, not for overseas sale kind of thing. I mean, a few people bought them overseas, but. Generally speaking, you know, as soon as you go outside the UK, you don't hear of it. And of course, the big game studios, while there was a lot of them in the UK, a lot of them were also in America or, you know, and uh, so for, for game stuff, the Amiga took off well for games because it was, once people got the hang of it, relatively easy to do really nice looking games for. 
Um, the ST was actually rather good for games, but found its niche in music because even though it didn't have a very good music chip, it had MIDI. And, built and that in. was it. Built yeah, in, built yeah. in. And it, and it worked. The Amiga never got MIDI right, even with all the external add-ons. There were versions of things for it. But generally speaking, if you were in a music studio at the time trying to use an Amiga for music, you were either someone very, very radical trying to do something very, very different, or you're an idiot. Um, and you just bought you just bought it for games, you know, yeah. and, and just trying to make it work for music. S- studios were using STs, Macs, or a few of them using PCs, um, and that was purely down to budget. Yeah, it, most most of them would be using ST because it was a very good one to do on a low budget, uh, and you could spend all your money on better outboard gear and stuff in the studio. You know, if you're a very very pricey studio, then it'd be a Mac running everything. Um, and that was usually a lot of the times because at the time a lot of um, a lot of studios were done as tax write-offs for, the, for ridiculously over rich musicians. A lot of bands suddenly got told by their accountant that they needed to blow some money quick, so they'd just build a studio with and, and then write it off against tax and so on. And a lot of those studios just went very very quickly. They went went bust. But it was a fun time to be someone selling music gear. <laughs> I think when the Amiga came in was because the sound chip on it was so good. It was more the trackers, wasn't it? Where it was uh, that yeah, for games again. It, yeah. it, it was games led. You could do you could do a really good soundtrack in a game on an Amiga without having to have anything extra, you know. Um, and this again, this is before we had CDs and or you know, kind of MP3 kind of stuff. Of things i mean imagine the, the fact that you know how difficult it is to actually play back an mp3 that you couldn't just stream music on an amiga that was compressed because it was just too heavy for it to do you know it's um i do a, remember a, a, was actually i do remember on a 486 pc trying to play back a 128 kilobit mp3 file mm. and it's stuttering yeah yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds crazy. Man. What I've got USB yeah. sticks from years ago that can play an MP3 file. Just like, it's like a stick, but yeah. a built-in music well, player. The 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 dedicated the, the dedicated four-track digital recording system we used this Roland one to write the soundtrack for Jet Strike. Uh, we actually had a hundred megabyte drive, uh, and it could do four tracks just. And you had to be so careful to not run out of space because it wasn't it wasn't compressing it was actual full full uh, I think it was twenty four bit um, so it's consuming huge amounts of data for the time for four tracks and you could just about get a three to five minute song in it as long as you repeated a lot of stuff um, and and then what you do is once you've got that one track done you then have to copy all the data off to a DAP machine. Um, and then put the next to work on the next song on it because you could only really deal with one song on it at once, you know. And uh, and nowadays, hundred megabytes, you, you can get quite a few songs on that. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, so that that was with a machine that but its processor was dedicated to it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Having that, well, I can remember having PCs like Pentiums where natively they couldn't play by MPEG-2, which was like what DVD used as the video format. And you'd buy a separate card just so that could be hardware accelerated. And of course there was GPUs that came on the scene, which hardware accelerated 3D graphics. And there was always something, it's kind of what the Amiga did back in the day, where here's a processor that does this thing so well. Why does the CPU need to do it all? Here's the thing that can offload that. Hmm. And that was, it's that thinking it's really helped the PC. You look at the price of a GPU, it's almost as much as the PC you brought originally, particularly right now because <laughs> of the shortages. Yeah. But, yeah. Tony, as I've been reading your book, I'd like to pick out one thing. Broken Sword 1 and 2 were totally 2D affairs. And then Broken Sword 3 came along. And it was around this time where so many games I think particularly publishers pressuring that there was, it has to be 3D to be commercially viable. And I think playing games like Sam and the Sorcerer 3D fell very much into that. And then Broken Sword 3 came along as well. Now I remember playing and reviewing this on the Xbox. I preferred the 2D ones in the terms of that's probably what I was used to. 
but there was still broken sword in there. But technically, how did you find that transition going from that 2D to 3D, trying to adjust that thinking to that new perspective from how you work? Uh, I guess I don't say, do I? Um, well, I, I escaped the start of the development to, to do GBA Sword, of course, which was which was like um, a, a going right back down to basics again. You know, it was a super simple. So, I mean, that's that's what I talk about. Three uh, D. I mean, some some. I mean, there there the, the whole. And as as I do say, the, the the whole market shifted part, and a lot of it was was critic led to be honest you and, and shop led you retail led you had to be 3d otherwise that that you don't have enough boxes ticked to be to be viable you know um it was like 2d is dead the whole the whole world has shifted to 3d so it, it was kind of a rough time if you like 2d um thankfully largely gone now that that kind of thinking but um I mean, three. The problem with three D was that you, you know, you know, so much more of your effort would would go on the three D itself than than the game. So you know, you could spend all your money and all of your time trying to make the damn character look good, or or you know, reduce the polygons or make it make it soft skin or get the bones working and cast the shadows. All, all these things took so much resource. Um, and and it was just the the industry for many years. It was just a, a polygon arms race, you know. And that's 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 all very well. But you know, we just wanted to write stories and, and design puzzles and, and have have narr have narr have a narrative, you know, and, and and all these things. So for us, it was it was a bit jarring, you know. For other people, it was their great opportunity. So and it suited them. And, and obviously, a, a big a big industry grew out of three D three D gaming, and that's still still around. So. You know, for us it was bad, but uh, but then again, there were, there were there were people in our office that were were cock a hoop about it. You know, the three D was what they wanted to do, but um, it it never it never really worked for Revolution, I don't think. And Broken Sword Five, ironically, is a mix of the two, where the backdrops are two D, but the characters themselves have this like three D essence about them, which I guess makes particularly for the artwork having a three D character rather than a two D sprite. It's probably easier with all the inter animation interactions and things. Well, no, it is a 2D oh, right, sprite. Oh, wait, there you go. That's fantastic. If it's a model, it's, 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 it's drawn as a model and then and then snapshot into Well, that's into even more impressive then. So there you go. It's pretty much gone back to its roots completely then. <laughs> it, it did in the end, yeah. Yeah. And now, now you could write a two D adventure game, and no, no one would bat an eyelid. You know, I mean, you know, you're never going to get a reviewer saying, "Oh, this is crap because it's two D." I mean, no, no, that 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 would just be insane. You know, no, no one would even. It's think quite about the opposite it. now. I mean, there's games being released which look eight bit, never mind sixteen bit. So it's sort of Nintendo original yeah. console style well, graphics. There's game games that are effectively two bit because that new um, the Playdate, of course, you know, the one with the handle. That that uh, panic have done. That's effectively a, a two bit screen, isn't it? Or is it a, is it grayscale? Um, I think I think it's a, a, a two bit one one or two bit screen. You may bit I'm off more sure. than you can yeah. chew. <laughs> yeah, I, I I looked at it and I thought this will be fun. This will be a fun one to do stuff for. Just to, the challenge of getting it to a thing. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, you know, they, they they sold out every single one on pre sales, but. Um, you know, you are designing for effectively a good old-fashioned black and white screen, um, which it focuses. It focuses what you have to do art-wise, I think. And that's but it. Might yeah. be a couple of scales of grey, yeah, um, which makes it even nicer. Yeah, there was a definite snobbery around three D when it it had to be three D. Oh yeah. But now we're kind of embracing every style there is. We've got the AAA titles. It's full three D using all that GPU power. And then you've got sort of um, ray tracing, which is like the thing right now. But you've still got all these things in between now. And this real love for retro, which persists, which is great. And as you've said, it seems to be increasing in popularity rather than decreasing, which, you know, if we can share this enthusiasm and this style, and particularly the art style of it, and the technical abilities of these formats and the limitations wasn't necessarily a barrier to imagination because you looked for another way of describing or explaining that thing. 
3D doesn't yeah. solve all the problems at all. And 2D did it very majestically in very clever ways. It was kind of 3D games before it was truly 3D as we understand it today, but they did it in a clever sort of way of presenting yeah. it with the technology they had. I, d- I do miss the old days when stuff that you couldn't technically do in the game, you just worked out a way of explaining it in the plot in the inlay. Uh, uh, there's so so much stuff well, well we can't we can't have a baddie there right we'll just change the plot in, yeah and the, there'd be an interesting plot in the in, inlay that would just set up the scene for exactly why you, you you're walking into a medieval scenario with a gun you know because that's the only thing the artist could draw or that's the only thing you could animate you know <laughs> but i guess this harkens back to when yeah. Adventure games was all text-based before we had anything graphical. It was just literally text on a screen. And when I think of um, the later versions of Broken Sword, like the director's cut thing, where they gave you the hint system, text adventures, you were just trying every combination possible, like pick up, lift up, look in, see, view, talk to. Yeah. (laughs) The Zork series won me over completely on that one. Um, When I played Zork 3, and there was, there's a, you're going, in, you're underground. There's this giant, what's obviously a well, right? And there's, and there's a big bucket at the bottom of it. And it's very obviously a giant well. And you're supposed to somehow get into the bucket and get to the top of the well. And I could not work out the combination of words to make it do what I wanted to. And I was getting very frustrated. And I typed in kick bucket. And he goes, okay, you are dead. <laughs> and I thought that that won it for me. <laughs> I, 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 Took it I was so literal. pissed off, but it was so funny because they deliberately put that in. As at some point, some poor sod's going to cite kick bucket, and we're going to get him on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing about those games is they might have been text, but they were quite rich. Yes, I mean, a, a lot of things happened in them because because it was easy to yeah, put yeah. content in. You know, you could, you yeah. could just shove in as I much mean, as the, you wanted. The one on, so um, they were very sophisticated uh, games. Yeah, the, the 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 next one's on from from Zork, where they uh, was it? Um, can't remember what they were called. Now, Sorcerer and Spellcaster uh, and stuff like that. There's, there was a se- sequence of three where you had spells, and once you learned to spell, you could pretty much use it anywhere. And of course, the, the classic one was Frots, which was the light spell, and you could Frots anything. And and the first instinct when you come across something new is like, oh, there's a hellhound in front of you. Frots hellhound. The hellhound has light glowing. <laughs> and so they've just done it. They rigged into the system that yeah, you can cast light. Okay, you can now cast light on anything in the game, pretty much. Um, and it may or may not be useful to you. <laughs> well, gents, um, yeah, this has been an absolute pleasure yet again. Uh, another fantastic Game and Gadget podcast. I really appreciate you all returning for this one. Hopefully we can uh, do this again sometime in the future. I really appreciate it, gentlemen. But for this episode of the Game and Gadget podcast, goodbye. <laughs>